What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Neuer, coming at you on a Tuesday night on July 26th. That was not the most carbonation in there, so it's probably going to be flat. But that is the sweet sound of a Jack Pine cream ale, dead branch. Let me know what you're drinking in the comment section below. We have a lot to talk about, so let's talk some Minnesota sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528 or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com and tell him Andrew sent you. I can confirm that was a pretty flat beer. I will still drink it. Beer's a beer. Let's talk about the Minnesota Twins. I am recording this, like I said, on Tuesday night, July 26. Literally minutes after that Brewers win over the Twins. 7-6. to six. Game went almost four hours. And honestly, those games that last four hours and you're watching the whole thing, it really just feels like you wasted like your entire night. The game is the game is fun to watch. It's just the end result of knowing that you just watched four hours of it. You're excited. They're winning at one point. Buxton starts the game off with a home run that I don't even think has landed yet. And then to watch them watch Dylan Bunny go up there, give up four, four runs. Was it five? Maybe it was five. I, I don't it doesn't really matter. The the point is the pitching was bad again tonight. Even Yuan Duran looked shaky, gave up. That was a filthy slider, though, to strike out Willie Adamas there. I mean, load the bases up there in the bottom of eight. Then you bring in Tyler Duffy, who has been really good the last month or so. He loads the bases up. The Twins just couldn't buy a strike. They were not throwing. They were not throwing well. The command was off, and when they did throw a strike, the Brewers capitalized and they were hitting home run home runs or they they were just taking really quality ABs and we saw that they took they drew I don't know how many walks in those last two innings. The point is pitching is a huge need and we'll get to that. First I want to talk about Miguel Sano. I've been on record by saying that this was the correct move to bring in Miguel Sano for Hilberto Celestino. Celestino over the last 30 games is batting 159. He's shown you no power. The only thing he's really bringing is speed in pinch running situations, or if he gets on base, he can, you know, get from first to third with ease. He can get from second to home with ease. And he's a really, he's a really good defender. Other than his defense and speed, he's brought you absolutely nothing. And which sucks because he was hitting over 300 for the longest time at the beginning of the season. It's just, it, things have changed. He's not looking great. He's still young. I still have a lot of hope for him, especially because he has shown a lot of power at the AAA level. We just haven't seen that in the big leagues. 
and maybe he's changing up some things wing wise and maybe he's trying to change his approach but long term we're going to need to see some more power and not every center fielder is giving you you know home runs like Byron Buxton is or Mike Trout etc but you'd like to see more power out of his swing so Miguel Sano was hitting 333 in his rehab assignment he wasn't striking out every at bat. He was taking, I think he drew six walks off the top of my head, five home runs or something. These are all just off the top of my head, but I know it was a 333 batting average. I tweeted it out. If Miguel Sano can bring you quality at bats, can give you, if he can just give you some at, there's no chance he bats under 100 the rest of the way. It's just hard to see. That's like, You'd have to try to go at least like one for ten, one for won't get one hit for every ten at bats. It's just it's unlikely. Miguel Sano is too good of a hitter, and I say that in like with like my fingers in quotation marks. He is a good hitter, or he can be. And we've seen that late in the second half of the season. He's a lot better of a hitter once he starts. Once the weather starts heating up, so does he. So hopefully. Hopefully we see a little more. And like I said, I'm recording this on Tuesday night. I don't think he'll play tomorrow, but we'll see. With Corbin Burns, Corbin Burns on the on the mound, it's just it's difficult for me to see him playing. I I guess even I mean you saw it with tonight. Once the righty was up on the mound when they brought in the reliever, they they threw in Luis Arise. So Corbin Burns, you know, right-handed thrower. So you're expecting at least. Luis Rasby playing first base. I don't know where his role is. And Rocco Baldelli kind of gave a pretty weak answer when he responded to what is he going to be doing. He's kind of like, yeah, he'll hit. Some games he'll play. Some games he'll pinch hit. Some games he'll get pinch hit for. I'm not taking much into that answer. For me, I personally, I think that his role is going to be playing first base and designated hitter, obviously. Arise will be playing. If there's a lefty on the mound, Miguel Sano will be the starter at first base. Alex Kirilov can play left. And with Jeffers out of the lineup for the next couple of weeks, the DH option is a lot more feasible because, sure, Byron Buxton does play a lot of designated hitter, and Miguel Sano probably doesn't play in those games. But if the designated hitter spot is open with Buck playing center, and you have Luis Arise playing first. Why why should Miguel Sano not get that opportunity at designated hitter? He's the more at bats you can give him, the better it's gonna be for long term for the twins and maybe in any potential trade. And that's what I want to get to next. Could I see Miguel Sano get traded? It's possible. If I had to put a number on it, I'd say it's a twenty percent chance. And if that 20% chance chance happens, it's because he's a throw-in and another team is like, well, what the hell? Why not? Why would I why would we not just try it? He's a talented player. Maybe we can retool some things. Maybe we see something in his approach that we can do differently. And maybe a change to scenery is what Miguel Sano needs. And maybe a team just takes that fire. You know, he, they can they can buy him out at the end of the season. It's not a big deal. Worst case, if Miguel Sano doesn't get traded and he's not showing you anything the twins could dfa him or 
the more likely answer is he'll be not on the roster next season after a buyout. That's just kind of like my whole approach with this whole Miguel Sano stuff. I, I think Miguel Sano will play, but I don't, I think it's going to be if it's a lefty on the mat, uh, a lefty on the mound or an injury, or maybe he plays designated hitter. If Byron Buxton is in center field, what we really want to talk about now is five trades. The Minnesota twins should make baseball trades are really hard to kind of like, you know, really dial into like what their value is. It's not like basketball where you can be like, okay, well, Kevin Durant, he's probably worth five, six first round picks. Ideally that might not happen. It, more than likely he will get four, but is you just know an NBA player's trade value. MLB is so hit or miss. You know, some teams may value the 30th prospect in the twin system, or maybe another team values a guy who's not even listed on MLB's prospect system list. And you're also bidding against other teams. There's there's the whole contracts and whether a team wants to pay it, etc. There's just so much that goes into it that I think that baseball trades are one of the harder ones to actually kind of figure out. First person I want to talk about is Matt Moore. The Twins receive Matt Moore and the Rangers receive Edouard Julian, who is the number 27 prospect in the Twin system. Moore is a lefty pitcher. And I think the importance of grabbing a lefty pitcher is huge because Danny Coulomb, who it's unlikely we see him pitch again in the twin for the Twins. He was just one of the 60-day IL. It's hard to see me. It's it's hard for me to see him back next season. Then you have Giovanni Moran, who he's still relatively new to the whole relieving relief pitching with the Twins in the major leagues in the majors, not in the bullpen, obviously for the minors. But he just doesn't have that much experience and the major in the major leagues. So if you're heading into a playoff series, do you feel comfortable giving him the ball in the sixth, seventh inning? His ERA looks great. It's a off the top of my head, it's two point something. Really good. But you don't feel comfortable. The other lefty you have is Caleb Thielbar, who is on the 15 day IL. Is I mean, you only have with when fully healthy, you only have two lefty options. So maybe going for a reliever who is a lefty is the twins best bet. Moore is a lefty, obviously, like I just said. His trade value is only 0.3, according to BaseballTradeValue.com. He's 33 years old. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. You know, he's, he's. I mean, 4-2. and two, He's got a 1.61 ERA, a wins above replacement of 1.5. He's been in the league for a long time. Kind of a journeyman. Played for the Tampa Bay Rays for a really long time. And we all know the Twins love finding those former Rays players. He's not a he's not a hard throwing pitcher. Fastest he's going to give you is about ninety four miles per hour on average. He's got the eighty three mile per hour curve. If you just look at his percentile rankings, though, there's only one category in which he ranks poor, and that's his walk percentage. And you can live with the walk percentage if he's striking out a lot of players. He's given he's got a great chase rate. He's just a really he's. He's one of the more under, I would say, players that is not talked about is not talked about enough at the deadline here. 
the Rangers are probably going into a fire sale here. They're not winning games, even after paying all that money for Corey Seager and Marcus Semien. So I think that Matt Moore is a guy the Twins could easily pounce on and maybe just toss out a guy who is in their late, you know, 25 to 30 prospect in that system. Next player I want to talk about is Daniel Bard, who is my favorite reliever. I'm not as keen on David Robertson. I would love David Robertson. I'm not saying I do not want him. But if it came down to it, Daniel Bard is my number one bullpen arm, most realistic bullpen arm, I should say. He's 37 years old. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. And I don't mean that he has no real value because he does. He has a 2.0 wins above replacement. He's one of the best relievers. He throws 98 miles per hour. So you're pairing, you got a right-handed high velocity pitcher. Any team is going to be wanting that. But at 37 and a free agent, you're not giving up the farm. You're not giving them a top 20 prospect. And the only reason you would potentially be giving up even in that situation, a top 20 prospect is if you're bidding against another team. And that's the only real situation I see. The only way the Rockies get a a good prospect is if other teams are calling them and they're getting the best offer because three, four, five, six teams are calling them. I would get the deal done. And for me, I think the twins would receive Daniel Bard and the Rockies would get Aaron Sabato. Aaron Sabato is a twins, former first round pick. He strikes out a lot. There's some weeks where he gives you a couple walks and he's not striking out as much. His real only asset to the Twins is his power hitting. He's not a good defender. Long term, he'd just probably be a designated hitter. He's not a good first baseman. He has a low batting average. He strikes out a lot. Essentially, he's a Miguel Sano without the defense. The third guy I want to talk about is the Twins would receive Gregory Soto and the Tigers would receive Brian Medina and Keone Cavaco. Medina is the number 10 prospect in the Twins system and Cavaco is the number 19. The Athletic just posted an article today on July 26 saying just about everyone is available at the trade deadline. Obviously, that means Riley Green is probably off limits. Spencer Torkelson is probably off limits. It's hard for me to see Baez getting traded the way he's been playing and that lucrative contract. So those are the two that I think that they're they're saying when they say just about everyone, excluding those two. And I'm not really even sure if Medina and Kibako is even worth it for the Tigers. You're trading within the division. You're trading for a guy who's under contract for until 2026. He's a lefty. He's a two-time All-Star already. He's one of the best relievers in baseball. And for a guy who's under team control for the next three, four years, it's going to cost a lot, especially if you're trading within the division, like I said. So maybe Medina and Cavaco are not enough. And if that's the case, are you really going to give up two, three top 30 prospects in your twins in the twin system? Probably not. I'd rather go after, you know, Daniel Barr, David Robertson, you know, guys that are guys that are be unrestricted free agents who are just a two, three month rent rental. 
but getting but Soto is a lefty, and like I said, talk about Matt Moore. That is something the Twins need desperately. Medina is the player they got in that Chris Paddock, Emilia Pagan trade where it was the player to be named and it was ended up being Brian Medina. He's probably not making his debut in the majors for at least another three, four years. He's only 19 years old. Keone Cavaco is someone I still have a lot of hope for, I would say, just because he has the tools. He was compared. I mean, comparisons are stupid. But we all love him. He was compared at one point to Manny Machado at the draft. He has the, all these tools to be a great player. He just strikes out a lot. Not a good eye at the plate right now. Gives you some power. The power is yet to come. And I do think that it will come with time. He's still very young. Like I said, he came out of high school. Former first round pick. Maybe the Tigers look at it and say, hey, let's take a flyer on him. He was. He was. And still is a very talented guy. But. I don't know. This That one seems more far-fetched. I think there's a bunch of other Detroit Tigers bullpen arms that are more realistic. But getting Gregory Soto, who is a closer, is my like pipeline dream, I guess you'd say. The next guy, the Twins would receive Noah Syndergaard. The Angels would receive Casey. I don't even know how to pronounce the last name. I just keep calling it Legumina. Don't know if it's right. Someone let me know if it isn't. And Eduard Julian. Legumina is a number 25 prospect. And Noah Syndergaard doesn't have all that much trade value. I think it's I think it's very likely that they eat the remaining seven million left on his contract. You know there are the injury concerns with the Tommy John surgery. He's missed what is it the last two years? Yeah, last he pitched he pitched in 2019 for the New York Mets, 2021 for them, but he only pitched in two games, two innings. So really, since 2019. He missed all of 2020, and he pitched two innings in 2021. So over the two years, he's only pitched two innings. This year, he's 5-8. and eight. He has an ERA of 3.83. He's thrown 80 innings. He's shown he's shown that you he can go deep into ballgames. There are some games where he will give you only two, and he's getting kind of blown up. He's not the same pitcher that's going to throw you 98, 99 miles per hour, but he still throws 94, and he's been – He's been relying a lot more on his off-speed pitches, his curveball, etc. And I think that's going to go a long way for his health because he's not trying to blow past you anymore. And he's using more strategic in his pitches. And that's I think that's a huge thing. Obviously, he's not a number one into the playoffs. And the Angels do run a six-man starting rotation so maybe that six day really has benefited him where with minnesota he's probably he's not going to get that especially with chris archer dylan bundy sonny gray and joe ryan you obviously know chris paddock anymore devin smelter is back in triple a etc so the six-man rotation is out the window as soon as chris paddock went out but Cindergard is a guy who can come in and instantly be the number three tonight we saw it Dylan Bundy is a Twins number three pitcher, and that's just not going to cut it when you enter the playoffs. With him making $21 million this season, the injury history, the age, et cetera, and being a free agent, I it's really hard for me to see the Angels really commanding a lot in prospects, but maybe they have to throw in one extra player, or maybe they bump up to 
their 20th or 21st pick. I mean, 20th or 21st prospect, which would be in that sense. Let me just check. Alex Erlair. I would not give up Marco Raya. Maybe throw Keanu Cavaco in there. Blaine Enloe, et cetera. There's just a bunch of guys they could mix and match with. It's not going to cost you a t- top 15 pick for him, I don't think, just because of all the things I just talked about. And lastly, the last starting pitcher I want to talk about, and you guys could probably guess it, no, it's not Luis Castillo. I would love to have him, but I think the value, one team is going to overpay for him, and that's just that's just a reality of it. I don't see, I don't see the Twins really going in and giving them their top, two top 10 prospects for him. And I think Frankie Montas, obviously he's the second best pitcher on the market. He has the shoulder injury recently, but he came back the other night. He pitched, I believe it was three innings off the top of my head, only through like 53 pitches. He struck out five. The shoulder injury doesn't concern me, but there is some concern. He is under team control for next season. So he's going to obviously cost, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball with him having the extra year of team control, that's going to add another asset onto it, but you have the shoulder injury and he is, he is the second best pitching, pitching player, pitching player. That sounds bad. He is the second best pitcher on the market for this. I have the athletics receiving Spencer steer, the number seven prospect, Matt Walner, the number eight, and Cade Povich, the number 22. I think this is a fair deal. Baseball trade values, I think it's like six under. The Athletics are not favored in it. But you're getting two players who are almost MLB ready, who probably could play in the MLB if they really call them up today. And you're getting Cade Povich, who has shown a lot of, he's given you a lot of success in the minors right now. So, I like that trade for the Twins. I would do it. Frankie Montas would instantly come in and be your number one. He has a 3.16 ERA. He's he's a, just a dominant reliever. And to, to have a 3.1 ERA, 1.3.16 ERA for the Oakland Athletics, it says a lot, especially for one of the worst teams at baseball. Let me know in the comment section if you like any of these trades or if you change anything. But those are the top five that I would, those are the top five players that I think the Twins should be targeting and potentially what they should be giving up. All right, let's end things talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves like usual. Is the roster officially set? Well, let's just look at it for a quick glance. The starters, you have D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Jordan, uh, sorry, Jaden McDaniels, Carlton Towns, and Rudy Gobert. And the second unit, you'd probably have Jordan McLaughlin, Jalen Noel, Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, and Nas Reed. That's 10. And then in the third unit, who are going to be fighting for that 10th spot, etc. You have Bryn Forbes, Austin Rivers, Wendell Moore, Josh Bynott, and Nathan Knight. Just looking at that alone, that is 15 players. So the the roster is officially full. Sure, not every player is... Contract is guaranteed. They could be doing stuff like they still have a guy on the, they could still bring in a guy like DeMarcus Cousins on the biannual exception. But it's hard for me to actually see them doing that just because they already have 15 guys on the roster. So why would they spend that biannual now? The biannual is a, a contract essentially 
that's about four-ish million dollars. And if you don't use it one season, you can use it the next. Let's just say hypothetically, the Wolves use their biannual exception this offseason. That would mean it's not available to them next, next offseason. So if they're already at 15, it's hard for me to see them going, let's use the biannual exception so that next offseason we can't use it when maybe they need to find a 15th player or a 14th player or a 13th player, etc. They already have 15 guys on the roster, so using the biannual exception at this point would just be stupid. They can use another two-way. They've only used one on A.J. Lawson. I, I could see them bringing in a two-way player. I don't think it hurts. It doesn't have any penalties, obviously, towards if they can do two next season, etc. So maybe they bring in a two-way contract. But for right now, I don't see them making any trades. I don't see them using a guy. I don't see them signing a player on the biannual exception. So the roster, in my opinion, is 99% set, barring like any trade or a guy bringing coming in on a two-way. Did I like the move to sign Nathan Knight? I'm yes and no on it. For me, I would have rather saw or I would have rather seen DeMarcus Cousins be the 15th guy. I think that would have really solidified a 15-man like deep roster. And Nas Reed can only play in situations. He's very matchup dependent. If a team's big, then he's likely going to struggle. He's a lot better against smaller lineups. Nate Knight is six foot ten, but he doesn't really necessarily play like that. He kind of plays honestly like he's seven foot five. Just a ton of energy. Just plays really aggressive and hard. And I love it about him. That's like my favorite part of his whole game. Nathan Knight does deserve this 15th spot. You know, he went to William and Mary's for four years, who they enroll less than 10,000 students. That's not a that's not a household name college. And I for me, one they when they signed Nathan Knight. And I looked at where he went to college, etc. I've never heard of William and Mary's. And I bet you 95% of the people have never heard of it. And I bet you the only 5% is the ones who live in Virginia where that college is located. After spending four years at William and Mary's, he signed a two-way contract with the Atlanta Hawks. And then he signed a two-way with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now we are in a standard deal. And... You just, I really, and you, everyone, I mean, does, but you just really appreciate that hard work and dedication of going to a small school for four years, fighting your way to a two way contract and then to another two way contract. And finally, he's got that guaranteed. Not all of it is guaranteed, but to earn that 15th spot on the roster after all that hard work, you just, you'd love to see it. There was that stretch where Nas Reed was out and, you could argue that Nathan Knight was the better option even when Nas Reed was healthy and back with the team. He was putting up double-digit points and even put up a 2011 game against the Boston Celtics. He's a hustle guy. He's an energy guy. And when you put him on the floor, he's going to give you 110%. And that's what Minnesota needs, especially on a 15th guy, on your like basically from your 15th spot on the roster. And... Sure, maybe you bring in DeMarcus Cousins, and he's a good player, but he's not going to 
with all the injuries he's had, he's not giving you his MVP all-star type seasons. You know, he's dealt with injuries, so he's not going to be hustling. He's not not hustling, but he's not going to be giving you 110% or all that energy like Nathan Knight is. And that's maybe something Minnesota is drawn to, especially maybe late in games. They need something. Not that he's going to be playing late in games, but just in general of needing a guy to kind of spark something for your team, Nathan Knight could be that guy. And DeMarcus Cousins does have a big personality. And with and with all these guys on the roster now, you have D'Angelo Russell, you have Anthony Edwards, Carlton Towns, Rudy Gobert, you have Torian Prince, you have Austin Rivers. Do you just have a lot of big personalities that Minnesota is not used to seeing in the past? And maybe bringing in DeMarcus Cousins is just too much of it. The guys seem to really like Nathan Knight. He gels with them. And having him on the roster is probably better for team morale. Sure, there is the, the size concerns, but I'm kind of 50-50 on it. I'm, I don't know where I stand. I'm really happy, obviously, for Nathan Knight. DeMarcus Cousins would have been cooler, but at the same time, I'm looking at the positives of bringing Nathan Knight in, of a young guy who's battled for it, a guy who will give you energy and 110%, and that's what you want to see. I don't have a ton to talk about with the Minnesota Timberwolves. We are in this kind of weird dead zone now with the roster basically being set. Summer league is over. Free agency is slowed down with Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell not moving teams. The other part of it, actually, I, I just thought of, I just thought of this now. The other idea was to just wait and see what the buyout market holds with Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell. But because these players are such high caliber all-star MVP type talents. These trades are not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a long time for these trades to develop. And who knows? Maybe this, maybe Kevin Durant doesn't even get dealt. Maybe Donovan Mitchell doesn't get dealt or this thing drags out till September or to training camp. There's just so much different variables that go into it that just signing Nathan Knight, getting the roster set now is probably the better move then waiting to see if something to see if essentially the grass is greener on the other side. Let me know in the comment section. If you like bringing Nathan Knight on that for the 15th spot, I'm still 50 50. So try and sway me, DM me, tweet at me at let's talk wolves. Convince me, but that wraps up our 19th episode. Thank you all for listening. Cheers. Thank you.